Wow. Good morning, church. How's everyone this morning? So glad that you're here in the house with us today. A special welcome to our online guests. So much. Uh, thank you so much for joining in with us today. My name is Doug. I'm your discipleship director here, and I'm so glad that you're here this morning as we continue in our summer teaching series. Have you enjoyed this series so far? Yeah, good stuff, isn't it? It's called You Asked For It. And so we are so glad that you're here to join us for this week. Uh, before we get into our message today, I'd like to share some exciting things that are here happening here at Grand Point. Around here, we talk a lot about helping as many people as possible take their next steps to find and follow Jesus. That's our mission. That's what we believe. That's what we're all about. And so three times a year, we have opportunities to help people take some what we're calling milestone steps, steps that uh, people can take for to get baptized or to dedicate their children. And so uh, one of those is coming up this in a few weeks called our Next Steps Weekend. And so uh, one, uh, that's July 23rd and 24th. That's in a couple weeks. So if you sense the Lord nudging you to go public with your faith through baptism, uh, or if you sense uh, that you want to dedicate your children to the Lord, you're going to want to register by next Sunday, July 17th for that. You can call or email the church office to get on that list and join us for the Next Steps weekend, July 23rd, 24th. Okay? You can also register for that online on our Next Steps page uh, on our website. I am also thrilled to announce that there's a uh, beginning in 2023, there's going to be a new marriage ministry coming here to Grand Point. Are you excited? That's exciting to me. So before all of that happens, though, we need to grow our ministry mentor, uh, marriage ministry mentor base. And so we have some that are committed already, and we feel like we would like some more to join that team. And so here's what's going to happen. We're going to create a uh, marriage ministry pilot group. The ministry is going to be called Reengage, and this pilot group is for our potential ministry mentors. It's going to begin on Thursday nights, August 25th, okay? So we're going to use this part of the year to train the team from 6.30 to 8.30, Thursday nights, uh, beginning on August 25th here at Grand Point Chambersburg. If you have any interest in helping to mentor married couples, you and your spouse, we have a small flyer for you today at the Hub. You can stop by there and pick that up. It has all the information you need, or you can give us a call or email at church office to register for that pilot group that's starting. So far in this summer series, we have answered your questions. It's not us, it's you. So you're the ones to blame. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we've answered your questions about the Bible. We've answered your questions about salvation. We've answered your questions about divorce and remarriage, about giving and tithing we talked about last week. Well, today we actually want to talk about the question, how can we be a witness in a world that is dominated by evil? It's a tough question, and to help us with those answers, it's my pleasure to introduce to you our friend Brian Miller. If you've been around this church, even before we were called Grand Point, you've likely seen him and his wife Chrissy and their three kids, Charlotte, Augie, and Shepard. He's been on staff here. Uh, he's preached. He's, he's led in worship and tech ministries. He's led groups. He's gone off to Brooklyn to help start with a church there. Pretty amazing stuff. Um, He's done so much for this church, and especially through multiple, multiple seasons of transition, he's been here, and that's what I've come to love about Brian, his loyalty, his faithfulness. Um, he's been here for us, church, and so he's still here for us. 
So I know that you're going to hear his heart for this church today. I know that you're going to hear his heart for scripture and for theology. And I know that you're going to hear especially his heart for God this morning. Would you join me in welcoming our friend, Brian Miller? Thank you, brother. Thank you. Wow. Uh, that's a lot to live up to, so thanks for that, Doug. I tell you what, I would love to have Doug come to my house and just announce me when I come home every day from work. I could use that confidence boost every time. So thank you so much. Uh, it really is an honor to be here with you, those who have joined us in person, those who are online. Thank you so much uh, for being with us here at Grand Point Church. I believe God has something very special to say um, through the message this morning. And like Doug was saying, we're answering your questions, right? Um, if you don't like this series, guess whose fault it is? It's your fault because you asked for it. Kind of sounds like a threat, doesn't it? You asked for it. I like that title. I love asking questions. So I love the premise of this series that we're going through. I don't know about you. I'm the type of person that's pretty inquisitive. Uh, one of my favorite things to do is to go what, down what I like to call the Wikipedia rabbit hole. Does anybody know what Wikipedia is? Some of the young folks out there know that, okay? It's on this thing called the internet. Maybe you've heard of that. Uh, it's it's a, a repository of information, kind of like a dictionary, right? So you can go on there. And what I like to do is I like to, you know, if I'm, I don't understand a concept, don't know where something was invented, I'll go to Wikipedia and I'll start to click on the links and you find out that, you know, this person was involved in a different event or whatever. And you keep going, you keep going, you go down the rabbit hole. Rabbit hole. And so for me, I love questions, but you know, growing up, I was always kind of an inquisitive person. Questions are always an important part to my life until I had kids. <laughs> then questions become irritating, right? <laughs> Only the parents are laughing right now. You guys get it. All right, you get it. So like the other day, I was driving down 30 and we went past McDonald's and my kids were, you know, in a rare mood like they normally are. They shouldn't call it a rare mood. I guess it's just how they are. Um, and they were asking a bunch of questions. And they looked up and they saw the McDonald's double arches, right? The golden arches. And they asked me, what do the golden arches stand for? Does anybody actually know that? Like, why do they do that? Yeah, I don't know either. So I just made something up. Um, I said, it's because they're French fries. And they were like, oh, okay, but why are they French fries? Uh, they sell French fries at McDonald's? Come on. You should know this. And, and they were like, well, why do they sell French fries? I don't know, because they're delicious, I guess. And they're like, but why are they delicious? And eventually I'm like, okay, listen, because daddy said so, okay? <laughs> so let me tell you here, Grand Point Church, if there is something that you don't agree with in what I'm about to present this morning that you don't like and you want to confront me afterwards, after the message and come up and talk to me, I'm going to tell you, because Pastor Lawrence said so, okay? <laughs> Just joking. What's great about God? What I love about God is that God is not like I am. Thank you. He's not. I'm certain God's not like me. He doesn't react to questions like I do. God can take our big questions, he can take our small questions. He can take our silly questions. He can answer any type of question that we have. And I believe he does so through his word. That's why I love asking God questions. And today, this morning, we have a really, really tough question. It's this. How can we be a witness in a world dominated by evil? That's a rough one, isn't it? 
That's a tough one. Another question that I heard that you guys asked for this, because you, you asked for it, okay, that you asked in this series was, um, what about the dinosaurs? Why didn't they give me that one? Because I just saw Jurassic Park, and I can give you some answers, I think, okay? Just, I think there is going to be a message on that one. It's an important question. But this is a really, really tough question. I think another way to phrase this question of, you know, how can we be a witness in a world dominated by evil is like this. How do we share our faith in a world that is so utterly divided? How do we be a witness in a world that doesn't seem to be able to agree on anything? And that's pretty true today, isn't it? Would you agree that we're in a divided society? Would you agree with that? Yes? It's not a rhetorical question. Would you agree with that? Yes? No? Maybe? Maybe you're divided on the answer? Are we living in a divided society? I would say that we are. I mean, just take a couple examples, okay? Either you are a Republican or you're a Democrat, right? Well, you can say you're independent, but you know, got to vote one or the other, right? You either watch Fox News or you watch one of the others. I don't know if I'm allowed to say them in this place. <laughs> you're either for a Supreme Court decision or you're against it. There's no in between. You're one or the other. You either like pineapple on your pizza or you're a normal human being. One of those two things <laughs> is true. <laughs> Does anyone actually like pineapple on your pizza? Oh, no, you don't. No, you don't. Stop it. I don't believe you. <laughs> See, there seems to be no agreement among us in our society on what is good and what is evil. How then can we, as Christians, how can we engage with those around us while both respecting those beliefs that differ from ours while maintaining our gospel confidence? That's what we want to tackle today. How do we do that? When Pastor Lawrence approached me about giving this message this morning, he had given me this resource. It's a book called Uncommon Ground. Incredible resource. If this message really speaks to you today, and I really I do pray that it does, and you want to have these uncomfortable conversations with people and try to bridge that gap of the divided society that we're in, I would hope that you would take a look at this resource, Uncommon Ground. It's written by Pastor Tim Keller, who's a, a pastor in New York City, Redeemer Church there, um, has done some incredible ministry in, in a very, very secular place. And John Inazza, who's a professor of law and religion at Washington University in St. Louis, and he's also written a number of books on pluralism and how to bridge the gap with those who have different beliefs than ours. And what's really great about this book and this resource is that it really speaks to the situation that we're in today. And it recounts a number of stories of Christians who share their beliefs in a divided and a secular world how they actually reached out to people that are different from them in their context. In fact, we're going to talk about one of those stories here this morning. It's an incredible book. I hope that you look into this. But in the book, Keller and Anazza, they take a look at three common methods that the church as an organization and Christians individually have taken over history to try to come to terms 
with an evil world, a divided world, just like we're living in today. And in fact, how some of us still take some of these flawed views, flawed approaches to bridging that gap. Three main ways that Christians have done this over time. The first one is what's called defense against. Defense against. This is the view that seeks religious dominance over the culture through politics or other means. This view says that we must fight to regain our place in the culture. If we're going to reach out, if we're going to actually witness to people, we have to maintain our dominance. We have to. We have to fight, either figuratively or sometimes, literally. We have to fight to take back this culture. Historically, we saw this in the Crusades. We saw this in the suppression and persecution of religious minorities. This has happened in the past. Church, it happens now. There are people that still have this mindset. We can't be blind to it. There's also a view, the second one, is this idea of purity from. It's the view that our culture is corrupt and godless, so we should just remove ourselves from it, right? We should just get into our nice little neat Christian groups and make sure to cut off all ties from anybody who doesn't agree with what we believe. Purity from. This is also called the, the echo chamber approach. Anybody heard of an echo chamber, right? It's this idea of an echo. If you're in like a cave and you're talking with a friend and the voices are bouncing back and forth and you're only going to hear your voice and the person that you're talking to, nobody else. What has happened in the last, what, 10, 15, 20 years that has given rise to this, made it even worse than it maybe has been in all of history. A little thing called social media. You heard of it? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Has it not made it easier now more than ever to separate from people that we disagree with? To separate from people of different religious beliefs? To only listen to the voices that agree with us. This is a flawed approach to witnessing to our evil world. And the third one, this is one that I had some experience with in my ministry in New York and we see in some of our cities in America is called relevant to. This is the idea that in response to the changing and divisive culture that we have, this evil world that we're living in, maybe we should compromise on some of our beliefs. That, you know, sure, this book may say that this thing is wrong, but uh, does it really mean that? Maybe we're just interpreting it wrong, right? Culture has said it's okay to live this way, and we feel that pressure so much that we say, you know what, maybe we'll overlook that so that we can reach people. Maybe we'll compromise on our core beliefs. Maybe these are just antiquated ideas, right? We need to get with the times. Each one of these approaches are flawed. One is based on belligerence and anger. Another one is on withdrawal, ignoring those who need to hear the message of the gospel. And the third one is on compromise, on not standing up and standing firm in what we know God's word says. Each one of these viewpoints fails to capture what I believe 
and what I think God's word says and how we should respond to the culture and the situation that we're living in today. What does God's word have to say about that? We're going to get into that in a second, but I think what we need to do is come to terms with the fact, church, that we're sort of prisoners of the moment, aren't we? Where we see things through the lens of our time and our history. But it's important for us to remember that we're not unique. We've been living, the church has been thriving in divisive times since the very beginning. We're not the first ones to go through it. And I'm telling you, we're not going to be the last ones to go through it. You can make an argument that there have been worse, many times worse, situations that the church has gone through in history and still thrived. And yet we, we only see it in our context. What is the one story of that? Well, one comes from my favorite theologian. Uh, his name is Augustine of Hippo, and people pronounce it differently, Augustine, Augustine. I'm going to say Augustine. He lived in 386. He wrote the famed book, The City of God, and it's influenced countless theologians. It's influenced myself. In fact, so much so that I named my son Augustine. Maybe you've seen him around. We call him Augie. So my wife told me, you can name him Augustine, but we're calling him Augie. I said, okay, I'll take it. Now, fair warning to you. If you are going to name your child after a saint, thinking it turns them into a saint (laughs) does not work that way. Now, he's only six, so he has some time. Please be praying for us. (laughs) We love Augie. I'm just joking. He's a little crazy, but that's okay. But St. Augie, St. Augustine, he wrestled with these questions that we're wrestling with today of faithfulness, of pluralism. He lived in a confusing political time too, just like some of us may see of our culture and, and, and the decline of the influence of Christianity. In his time, the same thing happened. The cultural center and religious center especially of the known world at the time of Europe, certainly the Christian world, was Rome. And Rome in his time was conquered in 410 by the Visigoths. And it was sacked. And the political landscape changed. And Augustine and his Christians and the Christians of the time, they wondered, how can we continue our faith with such issues? Our holy city was destroyed. What can we do? How can we witness in such a world? Well, St. Augustine, he turned to Scripture to see how we should live. Look at Philippians 3.20. It says this. But we are citizens in heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And in Ephesians 2.19 as well, it says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. In that difficult time that St. Augustine and the Christians lived, you know what they figured out? The truth that they came to was that they are citizens of both an earthly and a heavenly kingdom. And they were mourning the loss of their earthly kingdom and the destruction of Rome. But not all was lost for them because they had an inheritance and a heavenly kingdom. See, as Christians, our primary allegiance must be to the heavenly kingdom, the heavenly city of God, not 
to the kingdom of this earth. Not to the kingdom of this earth. If we are to reach out and to witness to a world that is, seems like it's falling apart, dominated by evil, divisive, we must avoid our first point. We must avoid any identity or hope that replaces Christ. We must avoid any identity or hope that replaces Christ. See, too often we put our hopes and dreams and all of our energy into this earthly kingdom. And not just that. Not just our hopes and dreams. It becomes who we are. It becomes who, what our identity is. And like the Christians that I, I imagine of Augustine's time that might be thinking that we need to fight and regain this, or we need to pull back because of what happened in this earthly realm, or we need to compromise to this new rulers of Rome, they put their hopes in this earthly realm. We do the same thing here today. We do. We put our hopes and our dreams in politicians, don't we? In movements, sometimes in celebrities. Now, it doesn't mean that it's wrong to engage with these things. I'm not saying at all that it's wrong to be a Democrat, to be a Republican, an independent, any other type of party, to engage in that, to try to make a change in this world. There's nothing wrong with those things. But today, church, too often our politics is informing our faith rather than our faith informing our politics. See, the moment that we place our hope in anything other than the saving grace of Jesus Christ in his kingdom is the moment we set ourselves up to fail, and it will happen every time. Every time. When we place our hope or our identity in something other than Christ, you know what you're saying? You're implicitly saying that Jesus is not enough to save this world. Jesus is not enough. We have to get somebody else to help us. Jesus is not enough. Sure, what God did through Christ was great, but if I don't fight to regain what was lost, what? God's mission might not succeed? You may not say that, but that's what you're implying. That God's not big enough. That Jesus and his mission won't last. See, this is what how the book puts it. I'm going to read this quote. I think it's really fantastic. Listen, listen very closely to this. It says, we are not called to be heroes who save the day or save culture. Our story is to live as beloved children of God, set apart by the grace of God in Christ and the spirit to seek the things of God. Neither the souls of other people nor the state of our cultural institutions is ultimately in our hands, and neither is our status before God as disciples. We are already beloved children of God. Look at what Galatians 4, 6 through 7 says. And because we are his children, God had sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Do you know what your inheritance is today? It is the kingdom of God. And if we are already heirs in his kingdom, why would we ever place our hopes and our dreams in what's here? Why? It does not even compare to what we have in store for us. So if we want to reach out to a divisive culture, to a world dominated by evil, 
We also must recognize how the gospel subverts narratives. It subverts narratives. Now, it's been said that we live in a binary time. And I certainly agree with that. I think you would too. Does anybody know where the word binary comes from? Like a computer programming term, right? And you are either in binary, a zero or a what? A one, a zero or a one. I think it's a really apt description of how our society operates right now. We are in a binary world. You are either a zero or a one. See, the, the world loves to create these silos where you're either on the right side of an issue or you're on the wrong side. There's no in-between. See, the famed theologian Anakin Skywalker, <laughs> there were people last service that got that, by the way, so I'm really impressed. Maybe more than in here. Man, you guys need to up your game. The famed theologian, Anakin Skywalker, said, if you are not against me, or not with me, let me try again, if you are not with me, then, who knows it? Who knows it? Guys, you can watch Star Wars, okay? It's okay. If you are not with me, then you are my enemy. That's the view of this culture that we live in today, isn't it? But I want to present you with a different view. A view that's informed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. A view that breaks us out of this binary way of viewing our world. Before we get to that, we have to understand what a narrative is. Narratives are so important. So important. They impact every single thing that happens in your world and mine. See, a narrative is a way of understanding and giving meaning to an otherwise messy situation to reconcile in our minds what all that chaos means. And our society likes to take these narratives and distill them down into easy little packaged boxes for us to understand, right? And we see this in music. We see this in TV shows, other entertainment. We look for narratives in our broadcast news, where pundits will distill the information down for us, give us what this means. Who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Who should we cheer for? And who should we cheer against? That's the binary viewpoint of this world. But what does the gospel say? And how does the gospel change that? In the book, it recounts a story from the rapper Lecrae. Has anybody heard of Lecrae before? Yeah, a couple people. Great music. African-American man, a Christian rapper. He's, he's fantastic. He has some really great music. Um, he tells a story of the Ferguson, Missouri killing of Michael Brown and how in his African-American community, how they responded much differently and with different narratives than what the rest of the, the country was saying. And he had to wrestle through how he responded in his witness in a world that was viewing things very, very differently than he was. He recounted a couple of those different narratives. The first one was that the black community consists of good people with bad circumstances. That was certainly a narrative. And by the way, we see this happening time and time again, right, over the last 10 years, even less. Another narrative was that the local police were bad people who abuse power. That was a narrative that's out there still out there today. Another one was that the police are the heroes doing the best they can in a dangerous profession. 
That's a narrative. Another one is that Mike Brown might have been a villain who broke the law and he had to face an unfortunate consequence of breaking that law. All narratives. But you see what's interesting about each one of those narratives? And you can apply this to any type of event that happens that you talk about, that you see in the news. All of these narratives have different heroes and villains, don't they? Different heroes and villains. But a Christian worldview, a gospel understanding of the world subverts those narratives. A gospel understanding of the world says this, that we are all guilty, that you and I are the villains, that we're all the villains. What does God's word say? Look, look in Romans 3.23, it says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. All of us, every one of us, In every divisive issue facing our culture, the true evil is sin. Not a person. Sin. Sin. It is the enemy. And it touches and it affects every one of us. Church, listen to me very closely today. I am not saying that there is not right or wrong. I'm not saying that one person did something incorrect and another person, you know, everybody is just, you can figure out what your truth is. I'm not saying that at all. Okay? We know what truth is, and it's defined by God's word alone. That is our truth. There is right and wrong in this world. There are people who make right decisions and wrong decisions. What I'm saying this morning is that if you truly believe in the gospel, if you truly believe that it took crucified Christ to bear the weight of your sins and mine, then why are we as Christians so quick to look for villains? Why? Why are we so quick to paint one side is right and one side is wrong? When the gospel is the great equalizer, isn't it? The gospel says that we are all guilty. We are all in need of grace. Why are Christians not the first ones to reach out in humility and grace, offering up love to those that we disagree with? Some people who may have very well made the wrong choice. But instead of loving them, we want to paint them as the villain. The gospel breaks us from that binary view of the world. In every story, we want to say that this political party was the villain or this person is evil. When a gospel view says that sin is the villain and Jesus is the hero. Sin is the villain and Jesus is the hero. Do you see how that breaks the way that we look at people that are different from us? People that may have made a bad decision. They're no longer the villain. They're a sinner just like me. That needs Jesus just like I do. Do you see how that changes our approach in dealing with a world that seems to be dominated by evil? So what does that call us to do? See, what a right understanding of the gospel and what that means for us, how that changes how we view other people, it forces us to reach out to our community with humility, with patience and tolerance. It forces us. Folks, we don't have a choice in this. We have to. Look at what 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21 says. It says this. We are Christ's ambassadors. 
God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Did you know that in every conversation that you have in your office, you're an ambassador for Christ? Do you know that? Every conversation, every email that you send, you're an ambassador for Christ. Every social media post that you make. Church, you hear me now? (laughs) I'm friends with some of you, but not all of you on Facebook. Every social media post that you make, you are an ambassador for Christ. How? Did you know this? Look in that scripture again. Look very closely. I mean, I, I have read this scripture tons of times, okay? For some reason, the Holy Spirit really put this part on my heart. For you and for me today, it's this. God is making his appeal through us. Do you get that? He is making his case for his love through you. Through you, through me. That is how he plans to reach this world, through us. He is making his appeal through us. How should we do that? Ephesians 4, 1 through 2 gives us a glimpse. It tells us, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Making allowance to each other's faults because of your love. Let me ask you today, can we be real for a second? I know it's early. It's 1037. I don't know if you're awake enough yet, but let's be real for a second. Can we be real? Yes. Yes, we can. All right, here we go. Let's do it. I'm sorry, Pastor Lawrence. Here we go. How is the church in America known today? How is the church in America known today? Is it known for humility? Is it known for gentleness? Is it known for patience? Is it known for making allowances for each other? Bearing with one another in love for tolerance? Is it known for any of these things? See, if, if you're in an echo chamber, you might think that things are going well, that the church is known for that. Let me tell you, newsflash, it's not. It's not. And that's on every single one of us, myself included. What are we going to do today to change that? Because we see in Scripture that it's an individual approach that Christ is taking, is it not? That God's taking. It's an appeal through each one of you. How are we going to change that narrative today? Not this week, today, starting now. How are we going to do that? See, Ephesians 4 through 1, 4, 1 through 2, it actually corresponds to each one of these failed approaches that we talked about in the very beginning. It corresponds to each one. 
Look at the defense against. Some say that we should fight against culture in order to save our earthly kingdom. Scripture says that our inheritance is already secure. And so because of that, in humility, understanding who we really are and what we've done, what we needed to be reconciled with him, we can love those that we disagree with. We don't have to fight for anything because our inheritance is already secured. What about purity from that we should remove? Some say we should isolate ourselves right into our own neat little echo chambers. The gospel says that Christ was patient with us, that we must also be patient with others and take the time and the effort necessary to reach out to them and engage them in love. We don't have a choice in this church. We have to. We have to because of what he did for us. It's a gospel mindset. What about tolerance and understanding? What about the the uh, relevant to viewpoint that says that we should compromise on our beliefs? When we do this, though, it really just doesn't, it it, it reduces the gospel of Jesus to a self-help program, doesn't it? That we're not going to get into the tough things that you might not agree with. Whereas the gospel forces us to bear with one another, to make allowances with one another, to tolerate each other, to still hold firm in what we know is right and true, but to do so in love. See, this, this idea of tolerance has really been corrupted in turn by our society, right? It's become a bad word. See, tolerance specifically means you don't agree with somebody. You know that, right? It means you don't agree with what somebody's saying. Not that you agree with it. You specifically don't agree with it, but you do so with humility and with grace. That's tolerance. And so we have to reach out as Christians with that same mindset. I'll tell you a quick story about myself when I was in New York and we were you know, doing some outreach efforts and there was this, I don't even know if it's around anymore, but there was this uh, popular website called Meetups where you would post something online and people would just show up and maybe it's you know a topic that somebody is kind of passionate about and you invite people to come and to talk with you. And when we were in New York and Brooklyn, uh, we had one just around faith. We said, hey, we're going to meet up at a local restaurant. We'd love for you to come. There's no agenda. They know that I'm a Christian, but I just want to hear your viewpoint. I want to tell you what I believe and we can have a dialogue. And I had an incredible time meeting people there. I met people of the Jewish faith. I met Muslims. I met atheists and everything that you can imagine in between. It was an incredible experience. And you know what? I don't know that anyone was converted in any way from any of those conversations that I had. But you know what I do know? Somebody got to see the humility and the grace of Jesus in me in those moments. They got to see a glimpse of who God is. Because I was willing to sit down and have a conversation with somebody. To show them tolerance. To say, I don't believe what you believe. I don't accept it, but I love you. Because God loved me first. How do we witness in a world dominated by evil? Our band's going to come back up as we wrap up this morning. How can we be a witness in a world dominated by evil? Some of us may want to lash out, to fight back, to regain what was lost, when we know that that 
is an earthly kingdom. Our inheritance is secured. Some want to withdraw and say, hey, the world's falling apart. Good luck. The gospel says we don't have that choice. Some want to compromise on your beliefs, not hold true to what is in this book when God's word says that the Father was real with who we are and our issues and our sin. We have to be real with others, but to do so in love and humility and grace. As you go out from this place today, I want to challenge you. What does your appeal for Christ look like? As you go out to a restaurant from here and you deal with a waiter or waitress, what's your appeal say about Jesus? What's it look like? As you go to your workplace on Monday and you're dealing with that tough coworker, what does your appeal look like? Is it grace, humility, love? As you post on Facebook, church, come on now. <laughs> what does your appeal look like? What does it look like? Does it bring people to Jesus or does it, does it push them away? If we want to witness in a world dominated by evil, we must focus on the gospel and let it shine through us. That's it. Let's pray together. Father God, this is a tough, tough subject. And God, I will be the first to admit that I have gotten it wrong so many times. I think there's many of us here today who would admit that we have gotten it wrong as well. But Father, change us and break us out of this binary view of the world that wants to make evil and villains out of the people that we disagree with. May we, Father, view them as what they truly are, sinners just like us. Children of God just like us. In need of your grace, just like us. Then we can truly witness in this world. We thank you, God, for your word today. In your name we pray. Amen.